Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Three, two, one. Hold on, wait, what episode is this? 14. 14. 14. All right, all right, I'm good. All right, three. Make sure you two, leave that in. Three. Oh, it's going to get real bad during the season. If we're doing three a week, I'm going to lose track quick. It's going to be like, we'll be at 200 before Christmas. All right. Three, two, one. Welcome into episode 114 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. We have two preseason games to cover. They defeated the Flyers, I think, 4 nothing on, was it Saturday, guys? Yeah, yep. Saturday. That's Saturday how we spent our Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. And, uh, and then today, tonight it was pretty much of a dud of a game um, down in New Jersey. It was, you know, it wasn't the optimal offensive lineup going in. So you kind of expected a low scoring affair, but again, it was an opportunity for some guys battling for some, you know, bottom six roles, obviously Craig Smith and Charlie Coyle are on the third line, but there are four forward spots for, for grabs in the bottom six. Um, And so it was really interesting to try to see who stepped up and, you know, unfortunately tonight, nobody really, nobody really jumped off the page and stepped up tonight. I think some of the guys who have taken leads in camp didn't lose any ground in their 
spots. But, yeah, it was kind of just a quiet game overall for everybody. Pretty sloppy hockey. Yeah, it was, it was a, I would say, a really disappointing game. Uh, you could almost excuse a slow start because they mentioned this on the Nesson broadcast, but the Bruins had some travel issues getting from Boston to New Jersey today and got in pretty late. So you could almost, like, write off the first period if they then woke up. But, like, that didn't really happen. The second, third periods are pretty quiet, too. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, it was a – not that they were like the worst forwards on the ice, but I was especially disappointed in the Greer Stanika McLaughlin line, which um, had an awesome game together last week. Uh, Greer, you know, had had two good preseason games. McLaughlin comes out Saturday, has the huge game with two goals, playing on a different line. Um, actually, playing on a bunch of different lines because there were injuries to Fabian Lysel and Taylor Hall that caused all the lines to get jumbled up. And I really felt like that line had a chance to take the fourth line job and run with it, like as a line, because I think there had been some good chemistry there. All three had talked about like how they liked playing with each other. And obviously Jim Montgomery has it somewhere in his mind that like, Hey, this might be a line I want to take a longer look at because he gives them a second game, puts them back together and, you know, in practice. And again, I, don't necessarily think they were like the Bruins worst forwards. Cause there were guys below them who didn't do much either, but they also didn't like, they didn't really make the most of this opportunity to be like, yeah, you know what? We're the fourth line. Like we're, we're running with this. This is our job. Good luck to everyone else trying to take this from us. You know, they kind of, you know, had a couple chances, got pinned in their own zone a few times. Greer only had one hit, which, you know, is, completely different than what we've seen from him in the past. He takes a penalty, um, you know, had, so he gets called for the, for bumping the goalie on, on the goal. Get So McLaughlin did actually, you know, set up, made a pretty nice play to set up Tomas Nosek for what could have been a goal. They wave it off because Greer bumps the goalie. It was very light contact, but you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, you just like that line just didn't really step up. I think the way you were hoping to see them, I, I still have as of right this moment, you know, we're probably going to get into like our rosters and projections or whatever, as we go, I would still have all three of those guys on the team because I also don't think anyone else, you know, Thomas Nosek played tonight and once again, didn't do much. And in three preseason games, he has one five on five shot attempt and zero shots on goal. So, you know, like he didn't exactly step up and reclaim uh, or, you know, stake a claim to a spot in that fourth line either. And, you know, he's yeah, he's under NHL contract. But as far as I'm concerned, he's very much fighting for a job. And in my eyes, on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, I think I think the one word for this game was just blah, even if. And that's not even a real word. It's more of a noise, but <laughs> that's just how it was. It was just like, there's, you can almost, I feel like at, hopefully in the next two games, it they're more interesting because then that just means we have seen something, you know, someone shows something. Um, I just didn't feel like anyone, anyone did anything like uh, it was just kind of write it in my mind. It seems like a game you could end up writing off because if, 
the final two games of this uh, preseason are, oh, if they're more entertaining, people actually do something. You almost forget about this game in New Jersey. And it kind of seems like that's where they are with it. And Montgomery, when he spoke after the game, he said, uh, not a great game to judge by. And he's exactly right. You couldn't judge, you know, the best of what guys could bring in this game, especially that line that Scott mentioned is trying out for the fourth line with Greer, Stanika and McLaughlin. So no, they didn't do anything to win a spot. They, but maybe they're just hoping, you know, just put it behind them, uh, scratch it out and, you know, make the most of the last two games and hope, Coach Montgomery remembers that game three where they, you know, they all had multiple points and and they made an impact on the score sheet and they brought a lot of energy. So they want this game. And I think probably everyone on the Bruins kind of just wants this game to be put in the rearview mirror and just written off. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you guys. I think that it was a missed opportunity for that Sanika line in particular to, to grab the bull by the horns and 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 as Scott mentioned, like, just say, all right, good luck taking this, these spots from us, right? In the same breath, I think they kind of got away with one tonight, right? Kind of a breakfast ball because none of, none of the other lines, I mean, obviously the coil line's not in competition with them, but none of the other lines behind them on the depth chart took advantage of them having an off night. Um, like, and once again, Frederick really was kind of just not noticeable. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think that for Frederick in particular, I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a decent amount of players that were out there tonight, especially at forward, where you try to assess their game and take into account that it's preseason, take into account that there's no chemistry because they're all being thrown together. But there's a lot of players on, at forward, like Oscar Steen comes to mind, Trent Frederick comes to mind, you know, Thomas Nosek comes to mind. Lauko comes to mind. There's a lot of players where they can keep up. Like they don't look out of place when it comes to keeping up with the NHL speed, but there's a difference between keeping up with the pace of play and being able to make impact plays at that pace, because just being able to keep up is not good enough to, to earn a spot on a, an everyday spot on an NHL roster. And when you look at somebody like Trent Frederick tonight, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, he had his skating legs going, but what was he doing to impact the game? It's not like and and so you mentioned Frederick, and again, it goes for a lot of these players. Like Oscar Steen is a guy who he hasn't he doesn't look out of place speed wise, but he's not impacting the game at that at that pace. And you know, he he very well could be vulnerable to to being placed on waivers. And I think that's probably the direction that the Bruins are going to go with a player like that. So yeah, I mean, Bridget, like I think I think. Trent Frederick is just, he's just out there. No second. Yeah, and here's the thing. He doesn't have, like Steen might have the excuse that he's playing with, you know, two guys that he doesn't play with normally. Like he doesn't play with no sick. Um, he, and, uh, you know, Frederick played a big chunk of the season with Coyle and Smith. So they should have a little bit of chemistry at least built in. So, you know, he doesn't have that excuse that he can lean back on where some of these other lines, these are the first, you know, week, two weeks, whatever that, or maybe even the first game that some of these guys are matched together. So I would just expect that line because they come in as the only line that has had time playing together and expect more from them just for that reason. Yeah. And 
it's clear that they want Trent Frederick to win that job. Like he has gotten the most opportunities there. Uh, Jack and Burke on the broadcast talked about how, you know, they, uh, they know that Montgomery has given him a message of like what he wants from him. And they said on the broadcast, like they think Frederick's heard it and like received it. And it's like, Oh, I also don't doubt that. So I talked to Frederick after I talked to him one of the days last week after Greer got moved up to his spot in practice and, and Frederick got bumped down and, you know, I asked him like, how do you, like, how do you react to that? Like, what, what does that do for you? And he said, like, you know, I just have to play better. Like, I, I know that, you know, the way that Greer played, he earned that promotion. And, you know, I have to, I just have to be better, like straight up. And and so, like, I think he knows that, you know, I don't think he's like oblivious to what's going on. But then he comes out with another game, like all three games he's played in the preseason, he's had slow starts. And I think in all three, he's shown stretches where he's bounced back and had a few good shifts. Like, I don't think he was invisible all night tonight. I thought he did some good things, but it's just not happening consistently enough. And it's like, if you're going to stick as a third liner in the NHL, one, either you got to score more and, you know, you can maybe get away with a couple off shifts if you're a better offensive player who's, you know, finishing more chances and you have more natural skill. But if you're Trent Frederick, where you're not really like a natural gifted scorer, then the effort has to be there every shift. You have to be making stuff happen, you know, as we said, on the forecheck, around the net, physicality. Um, and just there's just still too many shifts where he's not doing that. Well, that and is- it feels like more of the same, guys. Like last year, Cassidy, I mean, Montgomery's not the first guy to say that about Frederick. Cassidy said it last year as well. Like, when he was given direction and knows what his role is supposed to be, he just doesn't change his game really as much as uh, coaches would expect him to. I mean, my, my opinion on Frederick is that, yes, he hears the message. Yes, he knows what he's supposed to do. But the problem for him is that he doesn't have it between the ears. To, you have to be able to you – can, you can have skating skill, you can have hands, you can have a shot, physicality, strength, all that stuff. But if you don't have the hockey IQ to make decisions at a high level, at a high pace of play, that's where he runs into trouble. He knows he, – he understands that he has to be better. But when you're on the ice at that level – Things happen quick, and I don't think he can keep up mentally. His decision making doesn't happen quick enough, and you and that's what gets him into trouble. In my yeah, opinion. he doesn't recognize the opportunity to make that physical play or to um, you know do what what he's been told to change. Yeah, like, like I, I think I said it last week. I think when the puck is on his stick, he 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 just doesn't know what to do with it. It's very apparent watching him. He 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 hopes that he gets afraid when the puck's on the stick, not that he's going to get hit. He's not afraid in that sense. He just doesn't know what to do with it. Like he, he, he wants to like defer to coil if he's around him or just kind of, he doesn't know what to do that. That's what I see with Frederick. And unfortunately that's not something that I just don't think that's something that can, that can click. I, it's like, like you guys said, he knows what he has to do. He just can't do it. And, and that's to me why I don't, I just don't see him. I don't see him being a, th- a good third line player. He doesn't have, he just doesn't have that, that those intangibles, that it factor. And it's like, all he really has to do to, to put in 15 goals a year with his size is really just crash net and park your ass in front. 
But yeah, it just, I just don't see it with him. Yeah. And it's important to bring up, I guess, part of this conversation, Taylor Hall's injury, which, you know, I think everyone's hopeful isn't too long-term, but was deemed week to week, which, you know, could put him out to start the regular season, which is now as we're recording this on October 3rd, only nine days away. Um, you know, so the, now like you need a left or a winger left or right, maybe if you bumped a brusque over to the left side to step up and play in the top six. And not that I think like Frederick was a leading candidate for that, but it further opened up, you know, either the third or fourth line left wing spot. Um, if someone else jumped up in the lineup, like, you know, I thought pre Taylor Hall injury when we thought, you know, that was only day to day, um, here, here goes my self-promotion. I posted a, a roster projection uh, Sunday morning right after that game on Saturday. Um, and I had Frederick as the 13th forward, which I've just felt like that's what, like that's where things are headed. That's what he seemed destined for, where I don't think the Bruins are going to completely give up on him to the point of cutting him because someone else probably would claim him on waivers. Um, but I didn't see a spot for him in the lineup. Then the Hall injury turns out to be a little more serious. And it's like, okay, well, they might need Frederick in the lineup somewhere in that bottom six. And, you know, you would hope like he would see that opportunity and step up. And again, he's not the only one who didn't really step up and take advantage tonight. Um, you know, that Grias and Nico McLaughlin line didn't really do it either. You know, and now what this does is, you're assuming that the other guys competing for some of these spots are going to play Wednesday. And, you know, some of these guys might also remain in the lineup, but a Felino is going to draw back in Wagner is going to draw back in now. Like there's a chance there for those guys to make their statement because no one really did tonight. And another really interesting part of this is that they're hoping Fabian Lysel is able to get back into the lineup on Wednesday. Um, he practiced Monday in a non-contact jersey, and uh, Montgomery termed him probable for Wednesday. I mean, now there's a chance for him to stake a claim to a spot next to Bergeron. And, you know, in that scenario, you bumped a brusque over to left wing. But if no one else is really stepping up on the left side and saying, like, yeah, I deserve an opportunity to play next to Patrice Bergeron, then – Hey, Fabian Lysel might have as good of a chance as anyone. He certainly has the most skill of all these guys, you know, trying to trying to prove that they deserve that chance. It's kind of weird how the tides turned, if you think about it, Scott, from that game three, because it was looking like Fabian Lysel was going to be the person that was week to week. Um, his injury looked much more serious, and neither Scott or I noticed the Taylor Hall injury originally. We just noticed he wasn't back out there. In the third period, and then uh, today on the Nesson broadcast, they showed what happened, and he takes a high stick right up in the jaw area. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I'm not sure if, you know, he had an injury to his jaw or or what. what? I, I mean, we don't know for sure, but he also fell awkwardly, and I almost think that might, like, someone raised the possibility of, like, an oblique injury, which would make sense. Like, he kind of fell awkwardly where you could see, you could see something maybe, like, on the side of his body getting strained there. Yeah, and, and so it completely changes what I was thinking after game three, which was that, um, you know, 
Hall is going to be back there on that second line. We're going to finally get to see Hall Krejci Pasternak, which I'm not going to lie, was one of the things I was looking forward to most to start the season. Um, and now it's looking like Hall's not going to be playing uh, opening night. So uh, week to week is also pretty vague. So we're not exactly sure when he will be back and was thinking Lysel maybe just lost the rest of preseason and wasn't going to be able to get any more wax at it. But I almost feel like even if he is kind of injured, he needs to play uh, when he gets this opportunity for the next two games. Like even if you're like 80, 90%, you got to go for it because this is your chance. Um, he's get, been given this, these extra chances now. Um, whereas it didn't look like he was going to win that spot. Now he's got this change in opportunity. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate because obviously they're going into the season already shorthanded on the left side. So now you lose Taylor Hall and Lysel has a chance as you guys have talked about. And if it's not Lysel, like, who is it? Like I, I could see them. This is not what I would do. I could see, but I could see them putting Nick Felino there because they're looking at it as, well, it's going to be a temporary fix. Taylor Hall might only be on a couple of games. Let's put a guy who's been in the league who is versatile and could, you know, whatever. That they'll have their rationale. I would not do that, obviously. Yeah, I'm repulsed it, by that idea. <laughs> I'm just you, uh, fully repulsed. You, you, you and you and you and me both. I'm just trying. I'm trying to think of what they what they might do because they have a, they have a crapshoot in the bottom six and they're gonna have to try to you know mix and match that Bergeron line until Hall comes back to go back with his line and put Zaka back up with Bergeron. But that's why I would like I would do Lysel because I'm not sure what the implications would be. Maybe Scott can can enlighten me. Like if, I mean, if you could you could take the you could take the Bruce Cassidy approach and play Tomas Nosek on the second line for some reason, which. Cassidy well, did, did multiple times I, last season. I put I put I put Jack Ashan on Bergeron. <laughs> oh yeah, great idea. Hey, Connor um, Clifton was getting involved in the offense today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you so, know yeah, how and, shorthanded they would have to be to do that? <laughs> Everybody else, right, no, even no sick or, or everyone in Providence would have to be hurt too. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, the opportunity is is there for Lysel. I mean, they got they, look because you need. Obviously, he's not ready for like top six NHL duties right now. Like I think that he would be in a, a little bit in over his head. He's, he has made some rookie mistakes in camp, which good. I want that to happen, but you also need to have some level of adequate top six skill in your lineup. And I think that he is one of the only options, um, you know, that really, that really can, can give you that. Like, can you put, can you put Jack Sanika or could you, could could you put somebody out of, out of position onto a wing, I guess, but like, they don't want to do these things. And, and um, so it'll be interesting, interesting to follow, but I would definitely say that Lysel's opportunity has enhanced because of injury. So. And by the way, hopefully like best case scenario for the Bruins, they get to look at them for say two or three games to start the season and then they get Taylor Hall back and you know it's just like a short sample size but he you know he at least gets his chance to make his NHL debut yeah. so uh you know best case scenario that's what the Bruins are looking at and so another thing going back to Zaka being on that line where it's going to be you know three guys from the Czech Republic 
playing Montgomery said that's his right now, that's his philosophy. So um, you were not, we're, we're really not looking at Zaka on the first line as an option when they start the season, unless maybe something happens in the next two preseason games where they switch the combination and they like something they see. Um, What about the thought of elevating McLaughlin? I mean, that that actually happened a couple times yeah, last year when Postnock was out injured. You know, it, in a pinch, it's not like the worst idea in the world because he has some finishing. And I, and I just think McLaughlin's like the kind of smart all around player that's not going to like embarrass himself really in any position you put him in. But I don't know. You, you would you would hope you would hope to have something a better option than that. Like I, I don't think that's ideal. I don't think you want him playing that many that many minutes or it's definitely not ideal but it's kind of like i mean none of this the options we're talking about are not none of them are ideal so right is it ideal to put frederick or felino or aj greer there like no like none of it's ideal so i mean it just depends how long taylor hall's out for like like first of all it's it's still possible he's back for the opener. We don't know that, but we think well, probably not. And and I'll say like another option that like we haven't talked about, and I don't think Montgomery has mentioned because I don't really think he's considering it. But you can also just put one of Craig Smith or Charlie Coyle there, and you know split up that third line combo that you have, which by the way like hasn't looked especially great this preseason, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's that's an option too. You bump Smith up or even move coil over the wing. And then that opens up, you know, a spot for Jackson. You to be third line center. So that's an option too. Yeah. That, that's a good point, Scott. Actually. I think that that might not be what they do, but maybe that is what they should do in that situation. Um, I'm not, I know, I know DeBrusque is a natural left winger. I, I wonder if they're reluctant to put him on the left side. Cause they want to just keep getting used to the right. But in this, I situation- think they are, I think they are. Yeah. To do that. I think that's definitely true, but you're down your top two left wings. Like yeah. at, at some point you've got to, you know, kind of bite the bull and be like, <laughs> look, we need someone to play there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's uh, like, guys, come on. You know, I can play left wing. It's <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe that, that is probably, that is probably um, the most sure, surefire thing that they could do to, to kind of not, I don't want to say not skip a beat, but, Craig Smith on that line with Bergeron and DeBrusque and then figure out your, yeah, your, your third line for a couple of games. Yeah. And then you just out, el- you just end up elevating, you know, one of those other guys who otherwise would have been cut like. Yeah. To, to the roster for a few games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any, are you leaning? Uh, are you starting to see the fate potential fate of some of these guys that are fighting for these bottom six roles? Do you, do you start, are you starting to get some predictions? For example, like, yeah, I think they're going to wave off Oscar Steiner. Yeah, I think they're going to try to buy out Nosek or trade him. I don't like it. Do you, are you starting to figure things out? Yeah, I think Oscar Steen is definitely seems to be a player who's on the outside looking in. Just really haven't seen enough from him this preseason. He's, they haven't even really given him like a ton of opportunities to play up with, you know, some of the guys who, you know, we think are going to make the roster. Um, you know, he did have the nice shorthanded goal in, was that the first preseason game or the second one? Um, but that alone's not going to be enough. I, I just think he's been 
relatively quiet and I, you know, I don't, I don't see a spot. I'd say like, if you're looking at the right side specifically, McLaughlin, I think is clearly ahead of him right now. Um, and that's one where, you know, we've talked about like how McLaughlin can, can get sent down without going through waivers. Will that work against him? To me, that's more like if it's close between him and someone else, maybe that's like the deciding factor as a way to keep both of them. But right now I don't think it's all that close between McLaughlin and Steen. Like if you're looking at that as a battle, um, Kapanen, you know, has, he's done a couple good things this preseason, but don't think, you know, I think he'll be one of the next cuts. Beecher, I think has probably been a little too quiet. And I always felt like starting the year in Providence was the best thing for him anyways, because that's going to be the, if you think he has more offensive upside than he showed in college, working on that and developing that as like a first line player in Providence is probably going to be the best way to go about that instead of putting him on the fourth line or, you know, 13th forward in the NHL. Um, So, you know, again, seen some good things. There's been some flashes. Obviously he scored two goals Saturday, you know, one's a, you know, just being in the right spot and goes in off his skate. That is an empty netter where he does show off his speed to get it. So that was nice. Um, but I think time in Providence makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, my, my answer similarly to Scott is that like Lauco and Beecher have, they, they haven't had bad preseasons, but it just doesn't look like they're in the, the top few spots. So I would put Lauco in that category as well with, um, Beecher and Steen. Yeah, he, he's a you know he's had a couple of games. I thought he was. He has. One I mean, of the, he hasn't played bad. It's just yeah. that it just doesn't look like like he he's just below the cut. You'd say like yeah, him, those, those guys are just below the cut. Yeah, I think Vinny Letary's time is probably coming to an end. You know, he was basically the same kind of signing as Greer over the summer, where it's you know a guy who's been a fringe NHLer at times, a lot of AHL time. You know, been around for a bit. Bring him in, see what he has, and. Obviously, you know, Greer's been, for the most part, a hit, you know, Monday night aside. Um, Letiri hasn't really, you know, hit like that or made that kind of impact. So, assume they'll be moving on from him. You know, there's guys on defense who I think are, you know, probably going to be cut pretty soon, you know, certainly in the next round. Like, Nick Wolf, you love seeing him stick up for a teammate and uh, I think that was Saturday's game. Yeah, for but fun, in know. general, like I don't think his game's at an NHL level. Uh, Dan Renuff was actually one of the two guys that uh, Jim Montgomery highlighted as you know having a good game Monday night. Lauka was the other one, but I don't think he's particularly close to making the team. Um, who else am I forgetting? A deep. I mean, Mike Callahan's still around at practice, but he. He he was listed on the game roster, but didn't play tonight. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I assume he's going to be cut pretty soon as well. Yeah, I think I think that that's a fair assessment. I thought that he didn't make the most of his opportunity as well um, when he was out there, which has been limited, a yeah. limited sample size. What do you what do you predict happens with no sick? So pre. Hall injury. I had him out on my Ross prediction. I had him getting either waived or maybe you find someone who takes him in a trade for like a seventh rounder or whatever. I don't know. But 
I definitely had him out as of then. The Hall injury opens up a spot to at least start the season. I feel like he's maybe he was probably the next guy up for me. So I, unless Fabian Lysel steps up and runs with, you know, that top six job, you know, gets an opportunity there and takes it. Um, if they don't go that route, then I would say Nosek might be the next guy in and they keep him around at least for a little bit until Hall's back. But um, I, I would have him out either way. Like, I would honestly rather just give Lysel those games early on and see what he does with them. Um, yeah, I just don't, like I said, I haven't seen enough from Nosek. He's played three preseason games now, one five on five shot attempt. Like, that's, I, I know what the arguments are for keeping him. He's, you know, he does, he kills penalties. He's very good on faceoffs. They don't have any other left shot centers who are good on faceoffs. You know, Zaka, Felino, Frederick have all are all like under forty eight percent for their careers. They're not really great faceoff guys, but like those the other guys can kill penalties. Even some of these young guys have done in the past. Like McLaughlin's been a penalty killer at every level he's played at. Greer has killed penalties in the AHL. I know it's not the same, but you can you can have guys do that. The left-handed face-off thing, like that's that's a specialist, you know, certain situations that yeah, that's don't, like that don't outweigh. Game, yeah, it's like end of the game. You need a yeah. uh, like two centers on the ice because you need to win one last face-off because there's ten seconds left and you need to score. So you put Nosek out and Charlie Coyle out there or something like that. Like yeah, and that doesn't outweigh being like a basically for the last half half of a season a nothing offensively. Like yeah. There's just not a spot for a player like that in like a modern NHL lineup for a team that wants to be a contender. Like everyone's going to be able to chip in, and I haven't seen Nosek be able to do that for quite a while now. I really, honestly, Scott, do think that Montgomery leans towards the idea of putting Lysel there. Um, He seems he in his press conferences and just knowing his history, like. He's known as a player's coach, but he's in particular known for being good with handling young players um, and their development. Obviously, he was a college coach, um, and I feel like he wants to give him the opportunity, um, whereas it almost feels like Nosek. There's just nothing fun for him to do with Nosek, right? Like he wants to be able to move the pieces, but putting no sick anywhere is just not as exciting as maybe throwing Lysel in there and, and seeing if he can start the development process with him. The issue with no is unfortunately for him, he's not very good. He, I mean, I, 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 I can sit here and kind of break it all down, but he's just not, he's just not that effective of a player. I mean, I, I think in Vegas, he was decent at what he did. I think that, I think that uh, he was in a, I just, you know, he had Ryan Reeves on his, on his line. It was a bit, it was just a different line. It, different. It was just different back then. And the grand, it was like four years ago. So, you know, he, he's not, he's not old, but he's not, he's not the youngest player in the league, but he's just not that good of a player anymore uh, at this level. Um, he doesn't make plays with, with the puck on the stick. He doesn't, he doesn't impact the game physically. His skating speed is, it's, it's not really existing. He gets caught all the time for a guy with his size. He's like, he's like six, four. He's on, he's on his ass all the time. So I just don't think he's that, that good of a player. And as you guys kind of, you know, detailed, 
that's his issue. He's just not that good. And as far as Jim Montgomery goes, you know, I, I think, you know, me, I, I, I love Bruce Cassidy, but Bruce was a, he was a defenseman, right. And, and Jim Montgomery was an offensive mind. And he, you know, he played on a line in college with Paul Correa, one of the you know most creative forwards I've ever seen play. So I think he appreciates, you know, forwards that have, you know, um, uh, an elite skill set, even though, even though it might take some some patience and some coaching, uh, I, I just I think whereas where Bruce would probably elect to go with a more conservative approach and kind of go with like somebody who's defensively reliable and, and can kind of you know put a bandit on something for a little bit. I, I I think I think Jim Montgomery might be willing to kind of you know take a risk on somebody um, and, and, and you know kind of throw them to the fire a little bit and see, or throw into the into the deep end and see if they can swim. So, you know, the Bruins have been talking and preaching about how the best players are going to play. Well, if that's the case, then no disrespect to Thomas Nosek, but I, I, he's not, if we're, if we're ranking the forwards in camp, I mean, he's, he's like, honestly, he's been probably the 17th best forward in camp. And there's been like 25 forwards a camp. So I really, if that, so I, I'm not trying to shit on the guy. It's just, it's what I'm seeing. And I think it's what everybody's seeing. Yeah, and it, like I keep coming back to Montgomery's answer when I asked him what he's looking for in a fourth line, and he said, you know, energy and changing momentum. And it's, yeah, Cassidy, I think, was happy with a fourth line that didn't get scored on, that could handle defensive assignments. And, okay, even if they weren't bringing anything offensively, hey, keep the puck out of the net, that's good enough. Montgomery's clearly looking for, you know, lines that are going to get to work in the offensive zone and, you know, give the next line that's coming onto the ice some momentum, uh, you know, wear down a defense and no, no say, you know, I just don't like, he's like you mentioned, like he has size, but you don't really see him use it that effectively or certainly not in like a physical manner. And, you know, Stanik is not really like Stanik is obviously his direct competition for, fourth line center and he's not really that kind of player either um you know that like he's not physical he's not you know you wouldn't really describe him as an energy guy but at least there's some offensive potential there and some creativity yeah he could bring he could change momentum whereas like that can bring energy to the team yeah and then like you know like even a guy like felino like that everyone's obviously down on at least you can tie yourself into him being one of those energy guys too like you know, Felino will get in on the forecheck and he can still hit some people. Like, yeah. um, it was funny. He wanted to fight Saturday and then Wolf like stole the fight from yeah. him. And I just kind of thought it was funny because it was like, okay, Felino wanted to show like he's still gonna throw throw some punches if he has to. And then Wolf was like, no, I need to steal this fight because I'm trying to make a team. Yeah. I mean, I think Scott, to what you were just kind of saying, I, I don't, I personally, even as much of a down year as Nick Foligno had, I do not personally put him and Nosek in the same category. I think kind of like you mentioned, Foligno is willing to get him the four check. He he's willing to face face wash somebody after a whistle. Like he Nick Foligno was a captain in this league and he's a leader. He just ha- he just doesn't have he hasn't had the scoring touch. And you know he he has talked about how he's feeling much better going into the season. I don't, I haven't seen much of a difference in this game in the couple of preseason games he's played. Now it's preseason and let's be fair and give him some time here. But then again, time's not 
time's not guaranteed right now. It's, it's, you're trying to make a team right for everybody. So um, I, I definitely think that all things considered equal, Nick Foligno affects the game, you know, in more than Nosek does. I mean, and, and like if Nosek makes the team just because of his handedness, like, and that's all anybody can say is, well, he's a lefty. Okay. <laughs> if that's the best thing you could say about him, then, then he, God bless. Um, then I should be in the NHL then. Um, yeah. I was going to so, say, I, I'm a lefty. Okay. I, used to, I used to take face offs growing up, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just get him uh, on a line with McLaugh- McLaughlin to McLaughlin. That's right. The all Orca line. Who, who's, getting the, who's getting the first initial on their, on their nameplate? You were, you were Mark. That's the real question. Don't you both? Don't, they usually give both. Yeah. It might, yeah, we might both have to get one. <laughs> well, yeah. And an, so. a, another name that we haven't mentioned, but um, Wagner is, um, in my mind, also back down to Providence. I would say so as well, but I... projection is the same as that. Yeah, so I, I, I had him out, but I will say, like, I, I think he's made it a tougher call than it was going into camp. I, I do think he's he's done what he did when he came up late last season, what he did in that final regular season game. And then at least like the first game or two that he played in the playoffs, I think if I remember correctly, his third game wasn't as good, but like, if you're talking about energy, he's, he brought that late last season. He's brought it this preseason. Uh, He had what, I think seven hits the other night. Like, you know, it was basically, um, I think he led the team. I think it tied for the lead in a single game all preseason for the Bruins. I think Greer also had seven that um, that big game that he had the two goals. But you know, he's done some good things. Again, I I still think he's probably not one of their thirteen best forwards. So yeah, I would be sending him down. But I wouldn't be stunned if if he makes it. You know, one thing I'm concerned about, guys, going into this year, and it's it seems pretty obvious based off of the news that came out in May about the offseason surgeries for Marshan and McAvoy and Grizzly, but like, you know, with with the with the injury to Taylor Hall, it's like, I you know, because we if it is a uh, Bridget mentioned the high stick, and then your response, Scott, was he fell awkwardly, and I, I tend to agree with you that that's probably where the injury happened, and if it is something like an oblique, we know that's an injury that kind of lingered with Pashnak, and I really hope that whatever is ailing Taylor Hall isn't going to linger all year now. That's it's like the Bruins, they have it, the big, I feel like the most common phrase this off season when, when talking about the Bruins ceiling has been like one healthy, if healthy, one healthy. And I just feel like, yeah, when healthy, this team, they, they, they have a really good chance to, to make a, to make a run this year as, as good as most teams in the league. Um, but I feel like they're going to be their own worst enemy this year with the with the battling the war of attrition, and we have, the season hasn't even begun yet. And there's been there's the injury bug just is already starting, and it's it's happening to key players. Now, granted, McAvoy and Marshan they're recovering, right? So it's a little bit different. I'm just saying it's it's something that they have to deal with their absences, and it's like if Taylor Hall is in and out of the lineup this year. That's my fear with this Bruins team. Like I, I like the, as far as the fourth line goes they're going to find a combination that works. Um, you know, obviously I think Craig Smith and Charlie Coyle need to be held accountable and be, be better than they were last year. Certainly Craig Smith. And if they aren't playing to their capabilities, then the Bruins are going to struggle as well. 
But I think personnel-wise, I think the Bruins, at the end of the day, will be fine. It's just a matter of if they can stay healthy. And that's my biggest concern going into this year, and it's already kind of starting. Yeah, it's like the question is how much is too much for them to handle in terms of injuries? Like how many key guys can go down where they are able to just tread water in those weeks until, you know, people start coming back like McAvoy and Marshawn. Um, so it's, it's almost like, you know, you have to play it where you just got to tread water, but at a certain point you're trying to fill the spots of, you know, four guys right now to start the season. And they're key guys. Like we mentioned your top two left wingers, like those aren't, easy spots to fill from, you know, your depth, even though they seem like they have a lot of depth this season, more so than last year, um, you know, after training camp, it's just, it seems like it's the wrong positions to, to lose guys out. And it's just, you know, the question becomes how, how much is too much for them to handle in terms of staying afloat? Yeah. And it's, you know, are you going to like have to tax some other guys more where, all right, now, like if you're down Marshand and Hall up front, and you find yourself in a bunch of lo- we've seen them struggle to score in a couple games this preseason. I know it's only preseason, but you get into the regular season, you find yourself in a bunch of one nothing one one games. It becomes really tempting to double shift David Postonok and start jacking his minutes up. Uh, you know, on the back end, like Hambus Lindholm's minutes start climbing, and it's, you know, those guys are healthy right now. I think they can handle it, and they'd probably be thrilled to get some extra minutes. But you start doing that for, you know, a whole month, month and a half. And, you know, it becomes something that you have to like at least start thinking about. Um, so that it's also that it's like, you know, obviously your top two centers are older and Bergeron and Krejci. You don't want to have to be, you know, jacking them up to 22 minutes a night or something early in the season like that. Ideally, you would go through this regular season managing their minutes to make sure that they're fresh come playoffs. So it affects all of that. So, yeah, it's, you know, everyone's going to hope it's only like a couple games that Hall misses, but obviously week to week could drag on, you know, he might not be back till the end of this month. Like that's still week to week. So um, yeah, not, not ideal. Like, as we said, and by the were... way, he was day to day and now he's week to week. Like you almost worry that like it could just keep getting extended. And it's like they, they're still maybe don't know the extent of it um, and how he's going to heal from it because he's not practicing. So. So lesson learned, don't don't trust what what Jim Montgomery says when he uh, assesses injuries after a game because he he's not really too sure. Usually Cassidy would just say, we'll know more tomorrow. Like he wouldn't really yeah. touch it. But can I say yeah. can I say. Pavel Zaka needs to not get hurt in the last two preseason games. I almost wouldn't play him because you are missing Marshawn. You're going to be down Taylor Hall for a little bit, it seems like. And then it was your, your two best left wings. And then you got the replacement left wing on the second line or first line with Zaka. So it feels like just don't even put him out there for the final two preseason games. Like you cannot have him get hurt. Well, um, yeah, and, and like now there's more pressure on him to produce, and like that's is, yeah. not really ideal because, again, he's someone who hasn't really been able to reach his offensive ceiling in the NHL yet. And ideally, he'd be in maybe a little lesser role, and you'd give him time to work up. And now it's like, well, Pavel Zaka, you're one of like our top four offensive players right now, so you know, hope, hope you bury some early. 
Another point too, though, he hasn't had much time. He's been spending all his time practicing with Bergeron. Like that's the line he was going to play on. And he, I know they're all from the Czech Republic, but there's been very limited practice time with Zaka, Krejci and Pasternak on the same line. There hasn't been. And you bring up Krejci and I, I was, I'm curious what you guys thought of him. We have, we got a chance to see him back in, uh, in the Bruins sweater for the first time in over a year. So what did you, what'd you make of his, his preseason debut. I thought he looked fine. I think he looked a little off. You could tell like he's kind of getting up to speed and he even admitted that we, we talked to him uh, today, Monday, and he said like, you know, he felt, he felt like his legs were there. He thought his skating conditioning was good, but his, his hands were a little off. His touch was a little off. Uh, He said actually quite literally that his, his sticks were off. He was old using, old sticks because his new ones haven't come in yet. So, you know, hopefully those get, get here in time for a start of the season. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's running into supply chain issues or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can see it. Yeah. But you know, I, I think he'll be fine, but I think it's also clear. Like he, he wants to, and will play at least one of these last two preseason games, maybe both of them, because I don't think he was thrilled about the way uh, Saturday went. And I think, he definitely wants to get more touches of the puck in game action. I think supply chain issues is like the, the new excuse that you can use for everything. It's like, I couldn't play my best because of supply chain issues. I didn't show up for work on time because of supply chain issues. <laughs> also, but, I noticed tonight that AJ Green needs new skates because his still match the devils. They have like a big um, red stripe in the middle of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Make the team first, and then deal, and then figure out your equipment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So Krejci, Zaka, and Pashnak, the all check line. Yeah, not not a ton of opportunity yet. I I I, uh, I share your concern, Bridget. I mean, it, to start the year potentially without your top three left wings is not how you want to start. So yeah, bubble wrap these guys. But at the same time, you don't want to. You don't want to travel to Washington and, and have a team that hasn't played together before. Like you kind of want them to get one game together. At least the last one. Yeah. Who are they playing? Who are they playing uh, in Boston Saturday? Is it New Jersey again? Yeah. It's Rangers in New York on Wednesday and then devils at home Saturday. Yeah. So it's, you know, but again, it's, it, it's one of those things like, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about them getting hurt in the final regular preseason game, it's like, well, how are you going to feel over watching it for 82 games? Again, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta find a way to stay healthy. Um, so we'll see. I, I did want to touch on one player from the, from the devil's game tonight. I thought stood out and that was on the blue line. I thought Jack Sean had another solid game. And uh, before we started recording guys, we were talking about, you know, how the Bruins top six to start the year would likely be, you know, it would consist of Lindholm, um, potentially Anton Stroman, who's still on PTO, but um, Zaboro, Carlo, you know, Riley, Clifton, and Forbert, those are your seven probably that you're going to have to deal with. But Jack O'Shawn's making a case for himself too. And um, it's one of, he's, he's one of, he's an interesting situation because you can tell he's kind of like NHL ready. Um, I don't know how much more beneficial the AHL could be for him at this point, other than just like keeping him in your system. So I don't know what you guys think about what to do with him. Obviously, like, I don't think he should be in your top six because it's just a numbers game, but like, I wouldn't hate it if he was, it's kind of a weird player to assess. Yeah. And I think it's tough with him because 
you run into, okay, could he make the team? Yes. But if he's not going to play regularly, like if he's going to be the seventh defenseman, I, I think he's still young enough where it, it benefits him more to play every day in Providence. Um, and he, he can go down without waivers. So that like, that's not an issue, you know? So even like if they didn't sign Strawman, um, if they thought a Sean was going to play, maybe there's some sort of rotation early in the season, then great. Then yeah, I would say he deserves to be here, but if he's not, then like, I would rather them send him down and keep like a Connor Carrick as the seventh defenseman. Who's, you know, I think been perfectly fine when, when he's played this preseason, like that's kind of like your classic seventh D right. Like the guy's been around the NHL, you know, he's not going to look totally out of place if he gets in, uh, but you're fine with him sitting for a long stretch of time. He's your tenority. Yeah. Like, I don't think they want a Sean sitting in the press box for a long stretch of time. So either he's here and he's actually getting some game action because you think he deserves that, or I would send him to Providence and let him play every day. And I think, you know, certainly if they sign Strawman, then I don't see a place for him because then then your top seven's really set unless you're trading someone away. Yeah, he is an interesting case, Brian. Um, so I'm glad you bring him up. But I do I do lean that Strawman um has the job currently. Um, but I think it's he's interesting because he he actually spoke in the first intermission of game four of preseason and he was asked like, you know, about playing in Montgomery's system. And he said it, it definitely uh, fitting. It's definitely fitting my game, um, you know, having the more offensive freedom. And he has been a good player in the transition game. He made an, an outlet pass that sprung Smith for a good opportunity to score today. He made it all the way, you know, a pass all the way from defensive zone into the offensive zone to give Smith like a one-on-one. Um, and he was able to use the speed and get the shot off. So like he did very quickly on that play, get the puck through the neutral zone and give the Bruins a chance to score. So he, he's shown those flashes and he's shown those are the kind of things that Montgomery wants. So um, unfortunately for him, he's probably probably the first man out um, for the reasons that Scott said, but he would, he would fit in to this offense and he is kind of a Grizzly Krug style guy. And we have seen him be that power play quarterback at times in this preseason. Um, And he, you know, he did okay doing that as well. Yep. No, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I like, I like his play. He has great vision, good skating ability. I like his attitude. I like his, I like his compete, especially for being an undersized guy. I think it's you know pretty admirable. So um, yeah, I think, I think as Scott mentioned, it's, you know, I, I kind of raised the question. I kind of raised the point, like, I feel like he's NHL ready and does he really benefit in the, in the AHL at this point? And the answer to that question is yes, because like Scott said, it's better to play than to be in a press box. So in that, in that sense, yes. I just think that as far as his, his speed and decision-making and skill set, he wouldn't be able to play in an NHL lineup. And I think, you know, I, I will say that this training camp, especially with McAvoy and Grizzly out to start the year, I think that the Bruins are in, I think they're in decent shape to weather the storm on the back end. I think they have some, I think they, I mean, look, I think you have, I think you have about eight or nine guys that, that could step up in an NHL role 
if if you have to go down the depth chart for for different injuries, like if you know if Carlo had to go down for a few games or whatever, like I you know I think like Carrick has shown himself well. We just talked about Ashan and he, obviously you know uh, Clifton and Forbert are in the mix and Strawman. So you and Riley, Mike Riley's a guy I feel like we just forget to talk about, um, but he's very well in the mix too. So I just think that I feel comfortable where the Bruins are at as far as defensive depth in the blue line with NHL caliber players that can step up if they have to. Um, I can't say I feel the same way about the left side of the forward group if they get too many more injuries, but, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Any closing thoughts from you guys or closing topics you want to hit on before we, before we uh, call it a night? Yeah, just because we, we just touched on there, but uh, there was news on Grizzly today. He practiced for the first time on Monday in, in a red no-contact jersey, and Montgomery said afterwards that he he believes that Grizzly is – a little bit ahead of schedule and his Grizzlick's original schedule when he got the shoulder surgery, put him returning like end of October, beginning of November, you know, missing roughly the f- first three to four weeks of the regular season. So if he's a little ahead of schedule, maybe he's back, you know, somewhere around like October 25th, 26th, like somewhere in that range, you know, a few days earlier. And you might be talking about Grizzly, you know, only missing like the first two weeks of the season. So that, uh, you know, as we talk about how this blue line breaks down, like that's another factor is, you know, are you going to like maybe that, you know, are you going to sign Strawman if Grizzly's returning in two weeks? And then that complicates, you know, the blue line even further. I, I would still like to see Strawman because I, I think he's been good this preseason, but like that Grizzly returning maybe a, a little bit earlier than expected now, you know, factors in into the equation as well. Yeah. And a, a quick note um, on, you know, a little injury thing. And we also were just talking about Riley. Um, he said, j- this is just, you know, something that I picked up. Um, he was talking about that. He's been playing in a boot. So like we have to remember he's, coming off an injury as well. And he had, you know, surgery on his ankle because he had, well, not, like, not playing in a boot, but he said he was, he said he has a boot on. I think he was referring he meant, to a skate. Yeah. He meant a skate, like kind of operating like a boot, like yeah, offering so extra support. He, yeah, exactly. He mentioned that he had extra support. Um, and he is coming off that off season surgery on, uh, his ankle, which was for, to remove loose bodies, which just means like fragments, um, that were, that were loose in there as well. So he's healthy, but he is also coming off of surgery. Yeah. And he said it, like he said, his ankle feels, he had been dealing with this for a couple of years. It was one of the situations where, you know, something's wrong, but it's, you know, you can play through it. You don't really need surgery. And, but it finally got to a point with him where the best thing was to get it done. And he said, you know, the first preseason game he got into other, he, he said he took one hit where he noticed it and, you know, kind of felt something. But other than that, he said it was like the first time that he played a game and wasn't really thinking about his ankle or, or thinking about like the pain in, in a while. Um, yeah. So he said he's, you know, pretty close to hundred percent at this point, still, you know, working to like strengthen it a little bit more, but uh, obviously for a guy, you know, where skating is a big part of his game and what he's gonna have to bring to, to stay in the lineup every night. Uh, that's, you know, that's good to hear and kind of adds to, you know, one thing that I've brought up a couple of times and, and 
wrote about last week is uh, I, I feel like Riley's, you know, set up to be a, a key part of the team and have like a real bounce back year. I just think the way Montgomery wants his defense to play sort of suits how Riley plays perfectly. Like it, it just feels like a really good match to me. And I think you're going to see him, you know, playing a, whether it's second pairing a third pairing, you know, I, I don't know, but I think it'll be, key minutes and I think you're going to see him involved in the offense and, and making some things happen. Yeah. And I guess maybe just last thing to touch on, um, cuts are coming, you know, we could start seeing those cuts, um, and guys going on waivers tomorrow, you know, in the next few days, some teams have already put a lot of guys on the way on the waiver wire. Um, so those cuts are happening now that, you know, teams don't wait till the very end of preseason for some of these cuts. So, um, you know, we might have updates on that throughout the week. Yeah. I would bet within like the next day or two, you'll maybe get the next round of like some of those guys we mentioned earlier that seem like, you know, relatively easy cuts at this point. And then you get down to like, you know, maybe it's five forwards battling for like the last three jobs where you have you'll still have like a few extra guys around for these last couple of preseason games, but you'll really know, like it'll really be defined who's, you know, really in the battle to like make the final roster. Yeah. And then when you have that final roster, especially if they sign like an Anton Strawman, like, you know, and, and there's, they add more bodies when bodies come back and, and McAvoy and Martian, we, as we know, there's going to have to, something's going to have to give, um, you know, cap wise. So, you know, there, there's things to shake out uh, personnel wise in the rest of training camp. And then, you know, even, even, even into the first month and a half, two months of the season, there's going to be more, more roster shakeup to come as well, depending on maybe who they let go in training camp or whatever. So we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to follow that. So they play the, they play the devil. Uh, no, they play the Rangers on this Wednesday and then they play the, the devils on Saturday at 7 PM. That's their final preseason game. Likely, Likely, since it's at home in the last game, you might get a pretty, pretty close to opening night lineup, I would imagine. And then opening night is is a week from this Wednesday. So the season's coming fast and furious. Um, you guys are all set to to, to, to leave? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening and we will talk soon. Mm-hmm.